0: Hello and welcome to The Hardy Report. My name's Edward Hardy and for today's interview I'm joined by Senator David Coulthard. Senator Coulthard is a member of Zimbabwe's Movement for Democratic Change, the author of the 2016 book The Struggle Continues, 50 Years of Tyranny in Zimbabwe. He served as a Member of Parliament for Bulawayo South from 2000 to 2008 when he was elected to the Senate. Senator Coulter, thank you for joining me.
1: Good to be with you, Edward.
0: On the 6th of September 2019, the first Prime Minister and second President of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, who'd had an iron grip on the country for three decades, passed away. You served as Mugabe's Education Minister during a power-sharing government from 2009 to 2013. What do you believe will be his legacy?
1: Like most people, uh, Robert Mugabe will have um, a positive and negative legacy. Uh, His positive legacy was the role that he played in ending white minority rule. And I would also say that another positive legacy would be his contribution towards education. He was a teacher by profession and certainly in the first decade after independence, ensured that there was massive investment in Zimbabwe's education sector. Uh, That said, uh, unfortunately, his negative legacy, in my view, at least far outweighs his positive legacy in that um, he uh, destroyed the economy of a vibrant country, a country that used to have uh, one of the strongest economies in Africa, which was a net food exporter. Um, he utterly destroyed that um, economy. He uh, His practices resulted in corruption becoming endemic in the country. And uh, of course, the uh, trademark of his rule was violence. Um, uh, he disrespected the rule of law, he disrespected the principle of constitutionalism, he um, oppressed all his opponents, um, and he caused, uh, directly or indirectly, tens of thousands of people to die during his rule.
0: Um,
1: And so, although he does have some positive aspects to his legacy, they far outweighed by the negative aspects.
0: You've previously said that, quote, there's no doubt Robert Mugabe was a colossus on the Zimbabwean stage, but of course there is a very negative legacy he leaves behind what you were just talking about there, because you believe there were, quote, two sides to his character. What did you mean by those two sides and from your relationship with him? What was he like in person and did he... See himself as always working for Zimbabwe and a positive vision for Zimbabwe, or do you think he slowly turned into working for himself and those around him, uh, as the corruption allegations suggest?
1: Well, there were two sides to Robert Mugabe's character, and they were always part of his his character. As as you know, Robert Mugabe charmed uh, Margaret Thatcher in the nineteen eighties. Um, the Queen eventually uh, bestowed a knighthood on on Robert Mugabe, um, and um, th- that was because he could be utterly charming and, and persuasive. Uh, but there was another side to his character, and that was a, a very dark side where he said one thing, did another thing, um, spoke about uh, democracy and and yet acted to, to oppress um, people, uh, and I would say that he he never changed in that regard, uh, right from the beginning of of his rule, even in the, the 1980s when he was the darling of the West. Uh, at that very time, he he was uh, plotting the demise of his political opponents, uh, but was able to to hide that other aspect of his character. In and personally, I saw uh, both sides of his character. He, he could be utterly charming to me. He had often a, a great sense of humour. He could get an entire meeting laughing. He he would, um, for example, I had uh, an incident involving my youngest daughter who'd been mauled by a lioness. And, uh, he showed genuine concern for her. Uh, so there, there was that side to his character. And, and yet on the other side, as I say, he, um, you know, at the, at the very time he was demonstrating that positive aspect of his character, he could be plotting uh, hell and damnation for his opponents.
0: Robert Mugabe was accused of a wide range of crimes during and after his time as president of Zimbabwe, including widespread corruption, human rights abuses, and crimes against humanity. Do you think that it would have been better for Zimbabwe and Zimbabwe's future bringing closure to the country if he'd been in some way held accountable for those crimes?
1: We can't put uh, Robert Mugabe, uh, uh, or or rather, blame Robert Mugabe alone, uh, because he was part of the system. And uh, part of that system was a system that he didn't create. You know, for example, uh, there's no doubt, in my mind, that the culture of impunity started at Lancaster House in 1979 when not just Robert Mugabe wanted to um, close the door on past atrocities, but Ian Smith uh, of the Rhodesian front was anxious to do the same. Um, And because of that, Lancaster House never resulted in uh, those responsible for grave human rights abuses ever being uh, held to account for, for their actions. So the point I'm simply making is that um, yes, Robert Mugabe himself uh, was guilty of very serious crimes against humanity, uh, but he wasn't the only one in his administration. And uh, there's no doubt that very serious um, uh, things happened during the The civil war which raged in in the 1970s and and both sides were were guilty of of very serious acts during that
0: period do you think that anyone not just related to the crimes that robert mugabe committed but do you think that with the issues criminally that occur in zimbabwe you talked about what's happened in the past and corruption which is seen to be ongoing. Do you think anyone will be held accountable for crimes of this nature at any point? Or do you think that, as you were talking about there, people will continue to sort of sweep it under the rug, as it were, the issues of the past?
1: The problem that we face legally in in the country is that, uh, for example, Zimbabwe has never signed up to the International Criminal Court has uh, never ratified the Treaty of Rome. Uh, and so those responsible for crimes against humanity in the country uh, can, can never be prosecuted in, in terms of the Treaty of Rome by the International Criminal Court. The only way uh, there could ever be any international tribunal uh, would be if the Security Council, proved the setting up of a specific tribunal, but that is highly unlikely because Zimbabwe has always enjoyed the unequivocal support of Russia and China, who would no doubt veto any such motion. Um, so the only way they are ever going to be held to account is, is through our domestic courts, which of course, uh, at present are tightly controlled by the uh, by the government and in, indeed by those responsible for these crimes. So the the harsh legal reality at, at present is that um, people will not be held accountable uh, for these crimes until there is a major uh, transfer of power in the country to democratic forces.
0: While Robert Mugabe's presence was undoubtedly felt up until his death, he'd been removed from power in a coup in November 2017, being replaced by now-president Emerson Mnangagwa You've previously acknowledged that, quote, the negative aspects of Robert Mugabe's legacy, violence, disrespect for the rule of law, corruption and abuse of power, live on in the new regime which overthrew him. How different is... Munungagwa's rule over Zimbabwe, and what issues that existed during Robert Mugabe's time in office do you still believe Zimbabweans face today, and how can they be addressed?
1: In almost every respect, um, Munungagwa perpetuates the negative aspects of of Robert Mugabe's legacy. Um, His rule, particularly since the elections of last year, been marked by violence, by soldiers shooting civilians in the streets, um, by the systematic use of law as a weapon against those opposed to him. And this year, uh, in the specter of a spate of disappearances and abductions, and of course, um, in in the form of rampant uh, corruption. Um, and. Uh, all of that has continued. The only difference is that uh, Mr. Munangagwa has in many ways been more deceptive than Robert Mugabe. One thing about Robert Mugabe, you you tended to get what you saw. Um, Whereas with um, Mr. Munangagwa, he purports to be a Democrat. um, And has engaged in a variety of ruses uh, to um, represent to the international community that he stands for something different to to Robert Mugabe. In interviews, he said that he's as soft as wool. He uh, has got a new moniker, uh, sort of Avuncular Friendly moniker of Ed uh, instead of. Um, Mr. Monangagwa, he, he wears a scarf to public functions. His rhetoric uh, is the rhetoric of of democracy. He speaks about being open for business, the need to tackle corruption, the need to have free and fair elections. Um, and of course, Robert Mugabe didn't even pretend uh, to um, create this veneer of respectability, um, whereas Managawa is at great pains to, as I say, project himself as, as a democrat and, and he is anything but. But of course, inevitably, there are diplomats and governments who fall for the, the rhetoric, uh, which makes it sometimes more difficult to um, open the eyes of the international community to the reality of Mr Mnangagwa's rule.
0: You talk there about how Mnangagwa uses the language of democracy. During Robert Mugabe's time in office, there was talk of how Zimbabwe would move to become a democratic nation, but that still doesn't appear to have happened with there being talk of election rigging in the country. Do you think zimbabwe will at some point be able to move forward and become a true democracy and if so how long do you see that taking to happen if ever possible i think
1: that the answer to um this question is is uh, is found in the uh, demographics of the country uh, in that uh, both Mr. Mugabe and Mr. Mnangagwa um, belong to a generation which suffered under white minority rule and which uh, had to wage a very brutal um, war of, of liberation against the white minority government. And, and that has left uh, its mental and psychological scars on the country and indeed on the personalities of of these uh, leaders. Uh, Whereas the coming generation, which uh, did not suffer um, the horrors of of war has has a different outlook. And there's no doubt in my mind that uh, when this generation retires, uh, the coming generation has a different outlook on on life. Um, And Um, I think that that is the moment when Zimbabwe will start to chart a completely different course and and embrace uh, the constitution and constitutionalism and respect the rule of law. And and that's when we'll see these uh, profound changes.
0: During Robert Mugabe's reign and under Emerson Munangagwa, you, your family, particularly your son, Doug, other opposition figures have faced persecution and harassment from the government, from those in power. How difficult is it for Zimbabwe to emerge into a democracy when opposition is persecuted or crushed?
1: Well, it's very difficult. Um, and, And of course, one of the great problems that we face is that the disease of authoritarianism is infectious. Um, the disease of corruption is infectious, uh, and there's no doubt that civic organisations and even the MDC itself has been affected by uh, the, the, the manner in which ZANU PF governs the country. It 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 means that w- we have to rebuild the. The fabric of society, um, particularly you know, the the moral fabric, corruption, for example, is so endemic in the country now that it is going to take a massive effort to combat it. It will take, uh, for example, the um, the reconfiguration, the retraining. Uh, of, of the judiciary, of the police force, the prosecutorial authority to ensure that, um, people understand that corruption is damaging to a country and, and should be prosecuted. Those responsible for corruption should be incarcerated. Uh, and that, that is not going to take, that's not going to happen overnight. There's, um, there's, um, no doubt in my mind that this will uh, present us with major problems even after ZANU-PF has left office.
0: Talking of opposition figures who are persecuted, a high court judge ruled that Zimbabwean doctor Peter Magombe, who had previously been abducted and is currently recovering in a Harare hospital, is free to leave the country. But the Zimbabwean government is refusing to allow him to do so. He's trying to leave Zimbabwe to go to South Africa to get medical attention. For those that don't know who he is, why has he been targeted by the government? And why is he being prevented from travelling despite the court order saying he should be free to go?
1: It's hard to understand uh, what the government motivation in that was. It, it does appear that they were uh, extremely concerned that, um, he would leave the country and, uh, and travel to the the United States and embarrass, um, uh, Emerson Managawa. So there is one theory that he, um, was held, <coughs> excuse me, in the country to um, just so long so long as it took to prevent him from going to um, the the United States. Um, there is a, another theory that he has been injected with some substance, and apparently, from a forensic perspective. Uh, the longer that substance is in a body, the harder it is to detect. Uh, and so the, 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 the other theory is that they wanted to hold him back. Uh, Zimbabwe does not have the toxicology research facilities that South Africa has. And so they have not been able to identify uh, exactly what he, he was injected with. Uh, and, and the theory is that they held him back uh, just as long as they could to, literally, to, to eradicate the, the, the evidence of um, what, what this young doctor was injected with. But of course, this is all speculation.
0: Part of the situation surrounding Peter Magombe is the persecution of trade unionists and opposition activists Human rights activists say about 50 trade unionist and opposition activists have been abducted this year by state security agents since January, including several rural teachers who the, they claim were tortured extensively when they threatened to go on strike. If Zimbabwe is trying to move forward, as Emerson Munangagwa claims, and wants to become a true democracy, why are they so unwilling to allow citizens to express opposition? Why are they concerned about letting people voice, letting people have their voices heard?
1: Well, this is part of the great deception that I spoke about earlier, that um, Mr. Manangagwa understands that he cannot get the, um, uh, he, he, he cannot obtain the necessary balance of payment support that he requires, unless he uh, convinces the IMF, the World Bank, and and the West generally, that he has turned over a new leaf. And and that is why we've got all this rhetoric. But of course, his assumption is that he could do that uh, and still effectively control the country. The problem is that in the election last year, we believe that he lost that election and he was forced to resort to illegal, unconstitutional and in some respects heavy-handed um, tactics to um, to ensure that the final result came out in his favour. And to that extent, the, the veneer has dropped. Uh, and there is, as a result, this contradiction in, in that uh, whilst he understands the need to democratise and whilst his rhetoric reflects that, he also understands that if he liberalizes the country um, in the manner that he says he's going to, he will lose power. And and so we face this constant uh, mirage, this constant act of deception, a smoke and mirrors a game in the country where they speak the language of democracy and uh, transformation and yet their actions uh, belie that and and their actions are of a uh, an authoritarian regime no different to robert mugabe's regime
0: you mentioned there in that answer the imf and its relationship with zimbabwe The IMF has privately warned Zimbabwe that state payouts to a company linked to global commodities trader Trafigura were pushing the country's economy to the brink. How concerning is this news and do you believe it reflects the fears that there's corruption still at the highest level of government?
1: I think that these latest revelations demonstrate that uh, corruption is at the the very core of uh, this regime, and uh, the rhetoric around corruption is very similar uh, to the rhetoric around uh, respect for human rights and constitutionalism. Uh, On the one hand, Mr. Manangagwa says that he is determined to to tackle corruption, uh, but uh, his actions demonstrate that he is not prepared to uh, tackle the root of, of corruption in in the country. Um, and, and so whilst action has been taken against people guilty of relatively small-scale corruption, we've seen no action taken uh, against the the masters of corruption in, in, in the country. Um, and and let it be said that, that many of these masters are people with very close links to Mr. Mnangagwa himself. And so we come back to this uh, smoke and mirrors game that I've spoken about before. Uh, Mr. Mnangagwa knows that he won't get IMF and World Bank support, balance of payment support and other forms of support. Uh, unless he is seen to be tackling uh, corruption. And so he will say the right things. And indeed, um, he sometimes um, takes action, as I say, against these uh, ministers and others uh, uh, involved in corruption, but does not actually tackle the core of of the problem. And and his hope is that he can literally deceive the international community um, into believing that he is genuine about tackling corruption when in fact he has no uh, seeming intention to, to do that at all.
0: Corruption isn't the only economic issue facing Zimbabwe two million people in Zimbabwe's capital Harare have been left without water after the government ran out of foreign currency to pay for imported treatment chemicals. How dire, for those that don't know, is the economic crisis in Zimbabwe? And beyond removing corruption from Zimbabwe, is there a simple resolution? Is there any resolution to this issue?
1: Well, corruption is deeply rooted in the country, and as I say, it's become in, endemic, uh, and there's, it is rather like a disease. It's not uh, something which simply perpetrated by the super wealthy. Because it's become endemic, uh, we see corruption even being um, – corrupt acts being committed by relatively lowly civil servants. Uh, and when corruption becomes so endemic in any society, it becomes – exceptionally difficult to root it out. And that is why we are going to have to uh, take a a wide variety of measures to tackle it. Um, At the core uh, will be the need to rehabilitate the police service, the uh, prosecutor general's office, and the judiciary itself. Um, We will also need legislation, new legislation, which uh, will enable these institutions to to tackle uh, corruption. And then, of course, the the law needs to be applied without fear or favour. And the example from other countries shows that uh, corruption is only tackled effectively when one goes for the, the root of it. Uh, one cannot start with petty corruption, uh, one, one has to start with senior leaders, uh, actually broader the fiscus of, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars. When, when one tackles uh, that level of corruption, uh, it, experience in other countries shows that it's easier to, to tackle petty corruption. And so this is going to be um, a very difficult task. Uh, because, of course, these super corrupt people are exceptionally wealthy and uh, they can buy their way out of prosecutions and they can even use violence to uh, eliminate people who are, are determined to, to prosecute uh, them for their, their corrupt acts. So uh, one, one mustn't minimize the, uh, the difficulty of, of the task which lies ahead of us. But one thing I'm absolutely convinced is that uh, Zimbabwe is hemorrhaging from corruption. Zimbabwe potentially should be one of the wealthiest countries in Africa, indeed in the world, given its resource base. Um, but it, it is literally bleeding to death through corruption. And unless we tackle this scourge, as Zimbabwe we will never realise its true potential.
0: Finally, we've talked about some of the issues that Zimbabwe has, whether that's human rights abuses, whether that's corruption, whether it's the economic crisis the country is facing. You served in government, in a coalition government, power sharing agreement between what is now the opposition party and ZANU-PF, which is the governing party. Firstly, did you think that from your experience do you think coalition government was a more effective system of governing in zimbabwe was there more compromise and secondly following on from your recent call for a neutral mediator to help broker dialogue between emerson munangagwa and opposition leader nelson chamisa uh, do you think that if you if zimbabwe returned to either a power sharing or a compromise or a coalition style of government, it it would resolve the major issues in the country or at least move the country forward.
1: Well, let me tackle your first question regarding the historical aspect of it and and the uh, power sharing arrangement between 2009 and 2013. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that uh, Zimbabwe had no option but to enter into that arrangement at that time. The country was facing uh, total collapse. We had hyperinflation. We had a rampant cholera. Um, and the country became came very close to becoming a failed state. And the only way that we could stabilize the country and take it through to a new constitution, in my view, was to have that power-sharing arrangement. And there's no doubt that we and the MDC made some Serious uh, mistakes during that that time. Uh, so I'm not seeking to exonerate us and to say that we acted perfectly. We we allowed ourselves to to be assimilated into ZANP style of, of leadership, and quite frankly, we were we were rather naive in certain respects in thinking that ZANP had turned over a new leaf and that it would respect the new constitution agreed to. So whilst i uh, believe that that power sharing agreement was the right thing at the time nevertheless it's very important that we learn the lessons uh, and i think in in one respect that that power sharing agreement went on to went on for too long we became too comfortable in it uh, looking to the future bearing in mind that historical lesson there's no doubt in my mind that Zimbabwe, in one respect, is in a very similar position as it was in 2008 with a collapsing economy, a very low levels of confidence in the country. And in many respects, it's beyond the power of any individual or any individual political party uh, to resolve the problems facing Zimbabwe. Uh, but having said that, it would be disastrous, in my view, if we entered into a similar power-sharing arrangement to the, the one that existed between 2009 and 2013. What we need now is more transitional authority. Um, the one big difference between now and then is that we now have a constitution which we've agreed to, which the entire nation, uh, by an overwhelming vote, in 2013, approved, um, and. It it means that we don't have to go through that tortuous process again of agreeing to the rules which are going to govern the country. So uh, in, in summary, I, I think what we need initially is, uh, as I've said, a dialogue w- which will be mediated by a neutral, uh, independent mediator. Um, uh, and that that mediation results in a transitional authority, a short-term transitional authority, and the mandate of that transitional authority uh, will be to take the country through at the earliest possible uh, opportunity uh, to uh, fresh elections, uh, which should be ideally conducted by an independent Authorities such as the United Nations, in terms of our constitution, uh, so that uh, the government coming out of that process genuinely enjoys a mandate uh, from the Zimbabwean people, which is not the case at present. Uh, So, as I say, in summary, uh, we cannot afford to have another government of national unity with a sort of unclear mandate uh, of indefinite duration uh, but what we desperately need is a transitional authority uh, that can take us through to free and fair elections lawful elections in the sh- in the shortest possible time
0: senator david Coltar, thank you for joining me thank you that was zimbabwean senator david Coltar. You can find out more about him on Twitter at DavidColtart or at DavidColtart.com. That's all for this week. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Until next time, goodbye.